Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Click. Not C-L-I-C-K. C-L-I-Q-U-E. That's the kind of clicks we're talking about. That's the nothing personal word of the day. You haven't thought about clicks since high school, have you? Well, there is a click that you should know about. It's called the MLB Owners Click, and we've got a new member. And his name is John Sherman. Not related to Bruce Sherman, the already in-the-click owner of the Miami Marlins. But this John Sherman is a native of Kansas City and now owns his hometown team. He met the media for the first time, and boy, did he have a hell of a way to start off his career as an owner. He talked about Kauffman Stadium, which is one of the great old ballparks. It's been redone. As a matter of fact, the company which builds all these ballparks is called HOK Populous. They're actually based in Kansas City, so you know that ballpark's going to be immaculate and perfect. But it does not generate the amount of revenue that Mr. Sherman would like. So he already started talking about a downtown ballpark. And then he gave the great quote, and here it is. It will be driven by what's best for the club, what's best for the fans, and what's best for the community. Way to go, John Sherman. You got your first press conference completely right, except you were totally honest. You're supposed to wait till you're out of baseball to be honest. You can't take the microphone and say that you want what's in the best interest of the club first. You've got to reverse that. Get your PR department together and explain to them. First, you thank and say you're doing everything for the community. Then the fans. Then the club. Not the other way around. Welcome to MLB ownership. You know that standing ovation you got when you're announced as the owner? So at MLB owners meetings, when a new owner comes in, uh, there's a vote. You have to get 23 votes to become an owner. So John Sherman had to get over 23 votes of the, of the 30 voting teams. Yes, the Royals do get to actually vote. The old owner votes. So once you're approved, you're out of the room when you're being voted on. And I remember being called into the room after we were approved in 1999. We were approved to take over the Expos. Walk in the room and there's an ovation. And Commissioner Bud Selig said, enjoy that ovation. It's the last one you'll ever get. And boy, was he right. There's no other ovations except for when old, really old owners win a World Series for the first time like Ted Lerner this year, who 94 years old, owner of the Nationals. He got an ovation at the next owner's meeting, which just happened, except what the other owners do in that instance is they're crossing their toes and their fingers, and they're clapping because they're supposed to, not because they want to. But when a new member of the clique enters and pays a billion dollars for a team, you do get a real ovation, and John Sherman, you got it. Good luck with the downtown stadium. If you need someone to help you get public money, I'm your guy. Jerry Jones just, he he can't get out of our show. Every single day, this week, since he lost to the Patriots, he's coming up with new and better ways to talk about the fact that his team is not winning. 
So he went on another show. The reason why it's great, Jerry Jones gets to do media as the owner. He gets to do media as the GM. And he gets to do media when he calls up his media shops and says, hey, I want to do media. So he did another interview, and he said a few things that made me smile. He started off simply. Let me just say this, Jerry Jones said. I think all of us, including the fans, want to win a damn football game. Well, that's true, Jerry. They do want to win a damn football game. But you're the one putting out the players. You're the one who put out the coaches by your very admission. You're in charge. Yet, you're only one game over 500, but still leading your division. But you weren't done. And this made me happy. When talking about signing players and spending money, he kept focusing on winning ballgames, which is fine. Then he said... You know, I'm not known as a guy that gets hand cramps when I'm writing checks, but I want to win games. Hand cramps while writing checks. Is there anything more billionaire than that? That hand cramps writing checks. Guess who doesn't write checks anymore? Anybody? Ever? Picture right now Jerry Jones. One of my favorite stories about Bud Selig And he won't be upset that I'm telling this. And if he is, I'm sorry, Bud. You know I love you. We would be on Bud's plane. Bud had a plane. And we'd be going to owner's meetings back and forth. And sometimes he would be nice enough to give me a ride. One of the things that Bud would always do and that I would see him do on his plane is he still kept a regular checkbook. And no one, if you're you're not a boomer, you're not going to know what I'm talking about. But a checkbook has a register where you write down the check number, who you're writing the check to, how much the check is, and then how much is the balance in your account. So this is the commissioner of Major League Baseball who's making millions and millions of dollars. And he is writing in his checkbook every single check he writes and keeping a balance. I'm picturing Jerry Jones doing the same thing. Hey, I just paid my cable bill. I've now gone from one billion dollars to 999,999,910 subtracting the $90 cable bill. Sometimes he must pay for the caviar in his suite. That would be a bigger check. I wonder if he gets that for free. No, he doesn't. But then Jerry kept going because why would he stop when he's being interviewed? And then he talked about Jason Garrett, about how why would he fire Jason Garrett? Well, he's going to. Why would I have a problem with Jason Garrett? Because you said you have a problem with Jason Garrett. He then says, let me tell you, no one in this country has earned the right to say, I'm a Jason Garrett man more than me. I'm his man. Let's not talk about the two grammatical mistakes because Jerry Jones is a football owner. I'd like him to not make these mistakes. I'm not known as a guy that gets hand cramps. It's who. I'm not known as a guy who gets hand cramps. Then he says, no one in this country has earned the right to say I'm a Jason Garrett man more than me. It's more than I. If you're ever confused about I and me, just finish the sentence. No one has the right to say I'm a Jason Garrett man more than I do, not more than me do. But here's the thing, Jerry. Why are you a Jason Garrett man? You've been holding on to him as a GM for nine years. You'd be fired. You would fire your GM if your GM did not replace the coach after what's gone on in Dallas. But how would you fire yourself? That's the whole point of being you. You can't be fired. 
You have a lifetime contract. How perfect is that? That means you can be a Jason Garrett man right before Thanksgiving 2019. And by New Year's, you can be all done with Jason Garrett. And you can bet your stuffing that that's what's going to happen. You know, is Steve Kerr a good coach? I've been thinking about that. And, you know, I've had these debates in my head, and I talk to myself a lot. It happens. You'll be there, I promise. Phil Jackson won all those rings with the Bulls. Does that make him a good coach? He couldn't win when Jordan was out for those two years. Is he then a bad coach? Was Doug Collins a bad coach, but Phil Jackson a good one? What about Joe Torre when he took over the Yankees? He was terrible in St. Louis and the Mets, and then he became a Hall of Famer. Is it players? Is it coaching? Well, Steve Kerr is giving us the latest example of what we can say in this debate. So Steve Kerr is the coach of the Golden State Warriors. Yes, the same team that has been in the NBA Finals five years in a row with two titles, three titles, two titles, a good number of titles. It's just what happens when you're doing a live show. You can't remember if it's two or three. You're supposed to be told in your ear which it is. I've got a producer in the back named Matthew Coca who's supposed to be Googling it right now. I completely brain cramped whether it's two or three titles in the last five years. And he's just telling me now after a 20 second delay that it was three. All of a sudden, Clay Thompson gets hurt. Steph Curry gets hurt. Kevin Durant disappears. And the team is three and 15. Does that mean now that Steve Kerr's a bad coach? Well, he came out and said something yesterday that sort of made me wonder. He was complimenting his eight man rotation. He said that he has, for him, playing now, something called the Elite Eight. Not the Hateful Eight, the movie by Quentin Tarantino. Not the Magnificent Seven. No, not the Seven Eleven. The Elite Eight. I wonder if that becomes a Final Four. I don't think so. It could be a Sweet 16, but what it really is is a 3 and 15. So, Steve, you don't have an Elite Eight. And if you do have an Elite Eight, that means that you're not a good coach. And if you don't have an Elite Eight and you're only 3 and 15, you can blame it on the players and your lack of core, having a core. Because if you want to be a Hall of Fame coach, you've got to take a bad team and make them better. You can't just take a great team and make them win. So, Steve, get yourself back to 500 with this group. Look what Aaron Boone did with the Yankees this season, all the injuries. He didn't have an Elite Eight, but he got it done. One of the things we do on this show that has become a favorite of mine is I opened up my Twitter at David P. Sampson, and I have anybody can DM me, direct message me, just go where there's an envelope and a plus sign and type in a question. I'll try to get to it. Type in a topic you want to hear, and I'll try to get to it if I think it's interesting, and if I think everyone will think it's interesting. I've had a few people who wanted to talk about things that I'm sure only they thought were interesting, and so I'm not gonna do that, maybe. This was a good one, though, and this one's personal. Someone DM'd me and wanted to talk about the New York Knicks and the debacle that that franchise is. And it happened because of what Richard Jefferson said, just the latest sort of reminder of how far the Knicks have fallen. I first started following the Knicks, unfortunately, in 1974. Yes, 
1974. That was a year. And that was after the Knicks won their second championship. So I spent the rest of my life from that moment on, which is 45 years, and I've never seen the Knicks win a title. As a matter of fact, for those of, of you who follow me or thank you for downloading this podcast, rate it, subscribe to it, tell people about it. But you may know that I've been able to do a lot of things on and off the field, done Ironman and marathons and ultra marathons, presided over a World Series championship team. But my number one memory, and I'm asked this by almost anyone I meet, anywhere I am, what's your favorite moment? And they assume I'm going to say winning the World Series or building the ballpark, or hosting an all-star game. My number one memory in sports is when Patrick Ewing led the Knicks in 1994 to the NBA Finals by beating Reggie Miller's Pacers 94-90 in Game 7. I have a picture of it everywhere I go, taken by George Kalinske, the most famous photographer in the world for me, who is the Madison Square Garden photographer. Patrick Ewing is raising his hands up to heaven saying, come on, everybody, get on my back. We're finally going to the finals. And that's something that I do whenever I run a marathon or an ultra marathon. Every time I need to feel good, I channel Patrick Ewing. But what happened with the Knicks? They have gone in a direction that I never dreamt of with an owner who is, believe it or not, one of the two or three owners who kept us off the podium of the worst owners in the history of sports. So I do want to thank Mr. Dolan Except I do have to ask, what have you done to my team and how do I get it back? How can it be that you'll sit back and let a story like the Richard Jefferson story go and all you do is deny and say that didn't happen? The stories that Richard Jefferson said, I had one offer from one team to play for the New York Knicks and I said, it's time to retire. He would rather retire than play for the New York Knicks. There was a day and a time and an age when anybody would play for the Knicks. Everybody wanted to play for the Knicks. The lottery was fixed to get Patrick Ewing to the Knicks. That's how important it was for the Knicks to be a good organization. But for whatever reason, those days are gone. Kevin Durant this offseason said it. You want to be big in New York? You go play for the Nets? The Nets? The Nets? It makes me crazy. It's a Knicks town. It needs to be a Knicks town. And it needs to be a Knicks league. You can't have all the good players on the West Coast, Golden State, Los Angeles, Lakers, and Clippers, the Nuggets, the Mavericks. Who's on the Knicks? I triple dare you to name five New York Knicks right now. And Larry Demick doesn't count. Neither does Ken Bannister or Hollis Copeland or Marvin Webster. May he rest in peace. Even Bill Cartwright or Charles Oakley. Charles Oakley, who's not even allowed into the arena, got kicked out by Dolan because he had the audacity to criticize. Mr. Dolan doesn't like being criticized. He'll kick you out. Why does he have the right to do this? Because of us, the fans. We keep going to games. We keep buying season tickets. The companies keep sponsoring the Garden and the Knicks. Is it possible that we've given Dolan the okay not to win? Is it possible that we've said it's okay to live in a land of mediocrity? It sickens me. And what sickens me more is there's no end in sight. You wanted me to talk about the Knicks, and I did. I'll tell you what I would do. The first thing, if I'm Adam Silver and the commissioner, I got to find a way to Sterling Dolan. Yeah, that's a verb now. It's used in all the leagues. How do we Sterling this owner? 
That doesn't mean we create a racist. That's why Sterling is gone. What it does mean is how do we get this owner to sell? Sterling has become a verb. How do we Sterling Dolan? Well, there's only one way to do it, and it has an S with two lines through it. You're going to have to offer him something with a B and something with an F in front of it. Not a T and not an O. Who's with me? O is for one, T is for two, and three. F is for four, F is for five. You may even need an S. If he's going to sell the team, that's the number of billions it's going to take. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to the NBA? Because if you're waiting for him to sell on your own, Adam Silver, it's not going to happen. And if I'm the TV partners of the NBA, or I'm anyone who does business with the NBA, the number one thing that matters is having the Knicks play in June. And the only one playing in June right now, as you know, is Dolan and his band. James Harden. So James Harden, as you know, is the top player for me, the top offensive player in the NBA. Big spokesman. He's the one who talked about China. He uh, is the one who decided that he was going to go public and talk about the new things that the NBA is trying to do. And we talked about it yesterday. And what I found fascinating is that Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, announced the shortened regular season. We talked about it yesterday that they want to do it, the in-season tournament and redoing the playoffs, seedings for the conference finals, and maybe adding a few playoff teams. Well, he forgot to do one thing. Memo to the NBA. Speak to your players. Get some messaging. Because James Harden came out and said yesterday, this isn't college. Are we in college? He sounded like Jim Mora talking about the playoffs. Well, he thinks that in college... That's what you do is you play tournaments. Well, listen, James Harden, the March tournament, March Madness, as in all those elimination games, do you know how much money the NCAA makes in the March tournament? Do you have any idea what it would be like if the players in the March tournament could get paid? Well, they're not going to. But guess who will get paid for playing an in-season tournament? You will. Why wasn't that communicated? And then, of course, we had P.J. Tucker. You know P.J. Tucker. You know who he is. Hashtag NBA Sneaker King. You know that he's wearing his fear of gods. He's standing up, and he's opening his mouth and saying, hey, I'm in it for the rings. Well, first of all, he's in it for the laces. Second of all, I'm fine if he's in it for rings. But why isn't he in it for money? Why not wait to see what you're being offered before talking Adam Silver, this is on you. You've got to get to your player reps. You've got to explain to them what you're doing before you announce it. Get buy-in from the people who matter. You think people aren't paying attention to P.J. Tucker and James Harden? Well, they are. Those are influencers. You're not. You need buy-in, Adam. Do it better next time. Well, I get to review a movie every day, and that makes me happy. And last night, Two nights ago, I can't remember when it was, I got to review and watch Aladdin. Now, you may be saying, why am I watching Aladdin? And I'm going to tell you why. Because when I was in law school, the first Aladdin came out, and I went to see it with a friend. And it was a great movie. And the music, it was animated. It made me happy. 
It got me out of law school class. I think I missed a contracts class to see it. And I never thought that it should or would be redone. But wouldn't you know, here comes Will Smith. Will Smith plays the genie. If you haven't seen Aladdin, the animated film, you must see that first. You are not permitted under any circumstance to watch the Will Smith Aladdin until you have seen the original regular Aladdin with Robin Williams playing the genie. And I don't want to hear from anyone who's old or young that I don't want to watch something animated. Robin Williams is a genius. Will Smith is talented. Will Smith can sing, he can dance, and he can certainly have a ripped six-pack using CGI and other uh, such technology, shall I say, that makes you look just a tad bit better than you do in real life. Yes, I'm looking at everyone out there who uses filters. You know who you are. Yes, is it a shock when you meet someone in person and they don't look like they do online? Will Smith does not look like he does in Aladdin. The music is good. The screenplay is fine. They stick to the original mostly. Naomi Scott plays the princess. I had never seen Naomi Scott before. She is a great singer, a great actress, a beautiful woman. That is a great casting job. She's also in the new Charlie's Angels. But is it enough? No. If you only can watch one Aladdin, go with the old but still relevant animated Aladdin. Do you guys know who uh, Zach Taylor is? Zach Taylor, if you don't, uh, here's why you probably wouldn't know. He's the coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. Is there a more irrelevant team than the Cincinnati Bengals? Not only, they haven't won a game. So is that an issue for anyone? Well, no, if you're purposely tanking, then it's not an issue. But they have not found a way to win a game, and they haven't said they're tanking. So they've just got it all wrong. They had a quarterback named Andy Dalton, and then they sat Andy Dalton, and they started a younger player, Ryan Finley, who's really not their future. So Andy Dalton took it like a man, took it on the chin, set out for three games, and all of a sudden, this week, we get to watch against the New York Jets, the Cincinnati Bengals. Who's going to watch this game? Can you imagine watching the Bengals and the Jets? The level of gambling that is required to watch this game is significant. It's the only reason to watch it, even if you're a Jets fan. So, who are you going to take in this game? I'm taking the money line for a tie. I believe this will be a tie game. Whatever I can get paid, 5-1, to 8-1, to one, I'm taking the tie. The other thing I'm taking is the under, and here's why. Andy Dalton is now starting, and Zach Taylor in a moment of absolute seriousness, had the following thing to say about starting Andy Dalton. Yeah, we just want to win. I guess that means when they benched him, they didn't want to win the last three games. But let's skip that and ignore that, put it to the side. It's okay, Zach, we're going to give you a pass. Yeah, we just want to win. The veteran presence will be helpful. Okay, thank you. Great experience, good quote, thank you. And here it comes. Everybody wait. Again, we're facing a challenging coordinator this week who has a lot of experience in this league at really challenging guys. If I had a studio audience right now, they'd be laughing. They'd be rolling their eyes. They'd be rolling in the aisles. We are facing a challenging coordinator this week who has a lot of experience in this league at really challenging guys. Do you know who the coordinator is who they're facing? Anybody? Anybody? 
Bueller, it's Bounty Gate Guy. I guess that would be a challenge. Trying to stay alive? Making sure you don't get your head kicked in? But you're telling me that facing Greg Williams all of a sudden means you've got to start Andy Dalton? Because Greg Williams is this guru of coordinators? Well, what's going to happen when he plays the Patriots? What's going to happen when he plays any other team? I don't get what you're doing, Zach. Here's instead what you do if you're the coach of a team. You take the microphone and you say, my owner called me the other day and he said that he cannot stand the fact that we're losing games like this. We've told them we're trying to lose because we want to get a better pick and we have no chance to be better. The owner said, I don't want to see this young kid, Finley, anymore. Put Dalton back in. The coach said, whatever you say. Thus, Andy Dalton will be playing. Is it better for the Bengals? Is it worse? I don't know. But if you're Zach Taylor, you got to come up with something better than we're facing a challenging coordinator. Coordinator? <laughs> That's pretty good. And he doesn't, you know, he actually doesn't have the best quote of the week in football. I thought it would. What I like doing is reading all these quotes of coaches because one is more asinine than the next. And I don't understand any of them, except I know exactly what they should be saying, what they're trying to say. And so I like to tell you, the listener, what they are saying. Bill Callahan, who is the interim coach for the Redskins, we've talked about him before. We've talked about that whole organization before, but I like this. He said, the Redskins, you know, we don't have an analytics department, but it could be a good idea to get one. Okay, we're going to break this down word by word. The interim coach of the Redskins has now gone public claiming that they no longer or never did, or don't now, have an analytics department. Is that possible? Is it possible there is an NFL team without an analytics department? I don't think so. Even a guy. It doesn't have to be a department. We started our department with the Marlins, and we were as old school as you can get. We hired a guy. He became a department. He was the analytics department. He had a big title, a small salary, and he had his own department. He had no one reporting to him. He had to punch the clock. And then we hired another guy so we could make him not hourly. All of a sudden, he was a manager, not a VP, two-man department. We grew it and grew it. Now analytics have taken over the world. Bill Callahan just admitted to everybody that they don't have one. Or here's the other possibility. They do have one, and he doesn't know about it. (laughs) Now imagine if that's the case. Imagine if the Redskins analytics department is so bad that they don't even communicate with their coach. Could that be it? But then there's a third option. What if there is an analytics department and it's not being used at all in order to win games so they don't purposefully communicate with the coach? What if it's being used on salary caps? What if it's being used on the draft? What if it's being used on other economic metrics like in-stadium spending? There's all sorts of different things that data analytics can cover. How many beers people are ordering? What quarter do they stop drinking? At what score do people leave the game? At what point in a season do people stop engaging us on social media? All of this is done under an analytics department. But isn't the main thing of a team the main point to win a game? To have a good team? If you're Daniel Snyder, I'm not sure he would agree with me. And he would say the main thing, if you win, great. But you know what I want? I want my team to be worth more tomorrow than it is today.
I love MLB. MLB. We're always trying, right? We would sit around all the time just trying to come up with ways to engage the audience, to get younger, sitting in a room full of millennials, trying to figure out how to get them to love baseball, how to get them to click on anything, something. And the best we could come up with is going on the internet to vote for players. We started that with the All-Star Game. It used to be that you actually had to go to a game and you had to punch a ballot. But once Florida had the hanging chads, there was a, there was a thought that maybe people were gaming the system. Well, guess what? They were. Do you know what we used to do with the All-Star ballots? No one was going to have a Marlin as an All-Star. We would hire people to sit in a room all day long and punch names and ballots. That's all they did. Hundreds and thousands and thousands and thousands of ballots all day for a small hourly rate, not minimum wage. Am I embarrassed by it? No, because they were there volunteering to do it. We didn't bring them in as prisoners, kidnap them. We said, hey, you want to make a little cash and punch some all-star ballots? They were lining up out the door to do it. We had boxes of them because giving them out at our home games didn't matter because no one came to the home games. We were always at a disadvantage for teams who had a higher attendance. So we made our own attendance. Yes, we did. But then guess what? They took it online. So how could we ever get a Marlin into the All-Star game when you could vote online and only 10 times per username? We got some extra usernames. We got a lot of people going in trying to figure out the code. How can we get the most people to vote their maximum 10 times? So we set up a room, except instead of people punching the ballots, we had like computers and laptops. No, we were not splitting the atom. We were trying to get an all-star. What's the big deal? So technology improves. All-star game is done by clicks and votes, but it's not leading to increased, increased attendance. So now MLB is trying something new. It's the all MLB team. I'm trying to decide if I can find one person who could possibly care less about the all MLB team. And I'm taking a poll. And I've taken a poll. Here's the problem. What MLB is trying to do is noble, and I get it, and it's right. They're very much trying to find another moment and point of engagement. So they're mixing up the leagues and saying, listen, we are going to take the top person from every position. That will be the all MLB team. It's like the all pro team in the NFL. Do you know how many people, how many of your players are all pros on your fantasy team? Do you focus on that a lot? When you go to a player's Wikipedia page, do you go right to the right side where it lists the accomplishments and look at all pro and say, ooh, he's been an all pro seven times. I'm going to draft him for my fantasy team. No. You want to know whether he's going to perform for you now. So the all MLB team is a bunch of good players, all of whom are all stars. It'll be fun for a moment. There'll be a panel of experts. There'll be a big reveal. 50% is the fans. Anytime a league tells you, like when you have a vote, this is actually completely accurate. Um, everything I tell you is just behind the scenes stories that everybody should know or does know or could know. Do you know at the end you get to vote for like MVP or, or an American Idol winner and you dial in and you text one for greatness and two for terribleness? I don't know. I've never called in. Well, do you think that that's really how at the end of the day all these selections are made? Do you think that someone's actually taking that tabulation and making that the final, final? 
not a chance. There is not an MVP of a series, World Series, NBA Finals, any league where there's fan participation, where the league does not know in advance, approve it, and move on with it. So while the all-MLB team is 50% fan selection, that means that 50% of the people can vote, and they'll have 50% of the say, except MLB will then have the other 50. They'll call it a panel of experts, but I promise there will be no member of the all-MLB team who is not known by MLB. Is that how it should be? Is this a major, is this a major controversy? Are you seen under the covers? No, you're not. This is actual real. And what's the big difference? I got a better idea, MLB. You want to engage younger fans? Let's start with time of game. Let's start with pace of action. Let's start with making World Series games that don't end at midnight or 1230 in the morning on the Eastern time zones. Let's talk about an extra round of playoffs. Let's talk about making sure that there is no tanking in baseball and that every team at least is pretending to try to win. These things are way more important to the fans than having a 50% vote in this new concept of an all MLB team. I love pizza. Can I say that? Is that normal? I mean, if, if you, everyone says, what would be your last meal? Like they're walking you down the plank. What's your meal? For me, it's pizza and it's sushi. And together, I'm happy to have them. So Papa John's is a pizza. And why am I talking about Papa John's on Nothing Personal? Because Papa John's has a lot to do with the sports business. Papa John's is a major sponsor in Major League Baseball. And I mean major, not just of the league, but also of the teams. Here's how it works. There are corporate sponsors of individual teams. So every team can have its own pizza sponsor, and that's the type of pizza you will get at that ballpark. But then there's the national sponsor. When you see the playoffs or the game of the week or the World Series or the All-Star game, and then there is an official pizza of Major League Baseball. It's a totally different thing. You can have one official pizza of Major League Baseball, and your official pizza can be something totally different. When we built the ballpark, we wanted to get an official pizza partner in Miami. We actually tried all the pizza, Domino's, Papa John's, but we wanted to try to be different. We wanted better pizza. <coughs> Excuse me. We wanted better pizza. We did a tasting and we found a company called Sir Pizza. They were a new company in Miami. They had a bunch of stores. They were expanding and they said, that we will serve this exact pizza at your ballpark. And we tasted it. We loved it. The ballpark opened. People stood online. The 20 people who were at the game each day, they bought Sir Pizza. But wouldn't you know it, Sir Pizza didn't have the money to pay its bills. We ended up in litigation with Sir Pizza. Bye-bye, Sir Pizza. Now what? Now we got to go to the regular Papa John's or Domino's. Why? Because they've got the money. They're able to sponsor. So Papa John's comes in and they come in with their quality pizza because it's not bad pizza. But we were just seeing if we could find something different. But there's a reason Papa John is the main sponsor with MLB and with all these teams because they know exactly what they're doing. But then they had a problem. And the problem came in the form of a man who started Papa John's. His name is John. John Schnatter. Do you remember what happened to him? Well, if you're a Papa John stockholder, you do. 
During a call, he made what some said and argued was a racial slur. That was the end of Papa John. He was forced out of the company, and teams dropped him and dropped Papa John's immediately, without thinking twice, until they realized they had no pizza, until they realized they needed Papa John's. They needed the promotions. They needed the money. And guess who became sponsors again of all the teams? Papa John's. So what's the moral of the story? Well, John Schnatter will tell you that the day of reckoning for pizza is upon us. He said this yesterday. I wonder what a day of reckoning is for pizza. Is that cloudy with a chance of meatballs? Except it's pizza? Or is it we're going to find out that the ingredients in Papa John's were not actually his? Or maybe we're going to find out that what happens when you eat 40 pizzas in 30 days? That maybe you gain an LB or two? That's not a shock. Or maybe it's just sour grapes from a guy who sold all his stock and now the stock continues to move up. Whatever the case is, Papa John is trying to get back in the news. He's trying to take over his old company, but they're doing better without him now. They have turned their company back around. Has it had the performance of Domino's in the market? No. What about KFC who owns Pizza Hut? No. But on the other hand, they've made it through. They've made it through the rain, wind, and clouds of this issue. How do teams decide? We had this very problem with the Marlins. What do you do when you need a new pizza sponsor? When you had turned your back on Papa John's when you were opening the ballpark? What you do is you go back on your hands and knees and you beg them to sponsor you. And you tell them that you're going to sell a gaggle of pizzas. Don't worry that our attendance is only 5,000 a game. They each eat five pizzas every game, every other inning. We promise you. No, no, we're not going to put that in writing, but we promise it's true. Just give us a five-year deal. And that's what happens. And Papa John's does this with every team around baseball. Do some teams try to do different deals? They do. But at the end of the day, you come back to the Papa because you realize that they do know what they're doing. But sometimes you're offered money from people that you just shouldn't take money from. Papa John's is an example of that. We had someone in Florida that was a big example of that. Do you remember the Ponzi schemer, Scott Rostin? You could Google it if you don't. He stole hundreds of millions of dollars from people. He was Bernie Madoff light, is what we call him down here. And something was very strange in Miami and in Fort Lauderdale. All of a sudden, there was this law firm back in the day who was sponsoring everything. You'd go to a performance at the Performing Arts Center, and there's a big picture of Scott Rostin and his firm sponsoring that show or that musical. You go to a ballpark, and you see sponsored by Rostin. Well, the Marlins were approached by this firm, and they wanted to do a sponsorship with the Marlins. I had no idea they were laundering money, which is what they were doing. I had no idea they were stealing money, which is what they were doing. What I did know is I took the meeting and I realized there's no chance that we're taking these people's money because there's no law firm I know, and I'm a lawyer, and I told this to our corporate sales staff, there's no law firm I know that has this kind of marketing budget. There's something wrong here. I even got to see their offices one day, and it looked like the offices from a movie called The Firm. Yes, with Gene Hackman and Tom Cruise. Yes, the firm was not doing it exactly correctly. Not just overbilling their clients for you Tom Cruise fans. 
So I said I'm not taking the money. And the corporate salespeople who work on commission were less than happy about that. But at the end of the day, it was the right decision. Because you have to know the difference. When something is too good to be true in this world, in the world of sponsorship, sponsorship dollars, it is too good to be true. So for Papa John's, keep sponsoring. Your pizza's good. And for the former founder, John Schnatter, your days are over. Move on. You sold your stock. You're worth a bill. Keep eating your own pizza, but you're done with that company. God, did we get crushed on our pick of the day. How does Luca go four for 14 against the Sacramento Kings? Luca, Luca, Luca made me angry, angry, angry. So what do I do when I lose a pick? I go to a guarantee. This is it, except I'm going to double down. So I say double down in a room full of gamblers, and I don't exactly mean double down. What I mean is I'm going to do a parlay. And here is both my pick of the day and my wait to see. The pick of the day is that the Philadelphia 76ers will cover the spread, which is nine and a half points currently over the Sacramento Kings. And the parlay is that Joel Embiid will score over in his prop bet of 24 and a half. Why would I say that? Because if he scores 26 points tonight, he will have averaged 13 points a game for his last two games. I'm going to give you a minute. I'm giving you a minute. Yes, if you average 13 points a game over two games and you scored 26 in the second game, you've got it. He scored zero points in the last game. There's no way Embiid gets held scoreless again. I think he took it personally, as he should have. He's going for 25 minimum tonight. Take the over. That's the wait to see that he will score over 24 and a half. But I want you to bet that, parlay it, with the Sixers giving nine and a half. And if it loses, you should have faded me but it won't. Well, tomorrow's Turkey Day. How many people are like me and weigh themselves the day before Thanksgiving and the day after just to really, it's really just about self-hatred, right? Because you don't say no to anything on Thanksgiving, turkey, stuffing, cranberry, all of it. Even if you don't like turkey, ham, whatever whatever you're in for. And you eat double because you feel like you have to. Three football games now is the worst thing that ever happened to us. What it means is we have to eat the entire day, not just part of the day. Well, I'm going to give you an alternative. I'm going to give you something to think about. Every year on Nothing Personal, well, this is actually only episode 31, so this is the first one. So it's not called the first annual. Someone actually said to me, you should do the first annual Turkey of the Year Award. Well, there's no such thing as the first annual. It's called the inaugural. Next year will be the second annual. So if you're ever invited to the first annual golf tournament of somebody or the first annual dinner party of someone, just tell them they've got it wrong. Take a drink. It's the inaugural Turkey of the Year Award. So this will be given always on the day before Thanksgiving, and it's an award to the number one turkey in all the land. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, even if you're just listening or watching, but no, I'm not a nominee. Sorry. I don't even like turkey. But here are the nominees for the 2019 inaugural Nothing Personal Turkey of the Year Award. Number one, the entire Houston Astros team. Yes, from the owner down to the assistant to the traveling secretary. You are a nominee for a Turkey of the Year Award. You know why. You know everything that you did. Number two, Daryl Morey. You think I forgot about you, Daryl? No one's forgotten about you. Remember NBA China, billions of dollars from that one tweet? 
Yes, you're a nominee. Antonio Brown, you're our third nominee. Antonio Brown, you're not a permanent nominee, although you're eligible. If you're a nominee for two years in a row, you go into the Turkey Hall of Fame. Out of this list, I'm concerned, Antonio, that you may be eligible for the Turkey Hall of Fame. You had a tough year. It's time to swallow hard and move along. Fourth nominee, all the tankers in baseball, in basketball, in football. Every team that says it's better to lose than it is to win. Every team that tells its fans you have no hope this year. You're called a tanker. You're a nominee. And the fifth is the AAF. Remember the AAF? The Alliance Football League? Remember? You don't remember? Because if you blinked, they went out of business. They forgot. And it, this was Dick Ebersol's son, Charlie Ebersol. Dick Ebersol, the guy who started Saturday Night Live, a hero of mine. He started this football league. His son did, Charlie. They forgot to capitalize it enough in order to make sure they could get through even one season. That makes you eligible to be a turkey. And the winner of the 2019 inaugural Turkey of the Year Award on Nothing Personal, you got it. It's Daryl Morey. Yes, Daryl. Why? Because you did something that will not easily be undone. But when you're listening to this, watching this, or eating your turkey, which is what you get for being the turkey of the year, you have to simply say one thing in your mind. Daryl, it's just business. It's nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.